Hi everyone and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Stephen Burrow about his literary novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. Stephen was born in Nigeria in 1993. He has an MA in Creative Writing from the University of East Anglia, where he received the Booker Prize Foundation Scholarship. In this episode, we discuss the wonderful moment a powerful voice came to Stephen, and he reached for his Blackberry to write it all down. How that opening passage is still the same in his published novel, and how his Booker Prize scholarship transformed his writing career. But first, here's Stephen with an excerpt from The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. Dear white people, I love white girls, especially blondes. Blondes who wear their hair in ponytails and once a week in pigtails. Is this a fetish? I don't know. I'm just pretty sure I'll marry a white girl, a blonde. Do I think black girls are ugly? Of course not. That would mean mama is ugly. And I'm not gonna take that shit from anybody. In fact, I haven't seen a blonde before. Because this is Africa, and there are minus 0.001 blondes here. Still, I love blondes. It's strand of hair like a long, sweet sun. Hair like ripples of water chasing each other. I swear I can see my face reflected clearly on each strand. I go to bed hungry most nights. I sleep on my dead mats in our dead living room with dead electricity. And with my last energies, I reach into my shorts and think about blondes. And peace flows down my heart to my stomach and down to my feet. And I'm filled. And I sleep satisfied like a boy who's eating a dozen cheeseburgers, though I don't know the taste of that shit. And I sleep knowing the future is mine. A 15-year-old African genius poet author boy who loves blondes is not a criminal, not a racist, not a sellout, but a sweet, cool, beautiful African boy. Hi Stephen, thank you for joining me today to talk about your debut novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa. Yeah, thank you so much, Chloe, for having me. So can you start by telling us what The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa is about? So um, my debut novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa, it's uh, a coming of age story set in present-day Nigeria. So it's about um, um, Andy Azizar this smart and funny 15-year-old boy who is obsessed with blondes, whiteness, the West, and who his true father is. And he's also uh, like ashamed of his uneducated mother, uh, who is a photographer. And um, yeah, so it's always about how this, these feelings of shame and obsession become intensified when Andy's life is suddenly um, destabilized by communal violence. 
And I read that this novel began with this very distinctive voice that you had for Andy and you kind of, this voice came to you and you wrote it down in this almost creative frenzy. Can you tell us about how this novel came to life for you? I mean, some of this, some of these uh, ideas, I mean, uh, ideas that we've been building for years and years and somehow maybe unconsciously, subconsciously, whatever. And but whatever, I think the bonfire, or should I say the fuse or the bonfire, I mean, was lit for me one June uh, after, uh, evening in uh, in 2018, when I was just in my living room, um, I was just trying, I wanted to write a novel, I wanted to write, I wanted to write something, something, something I wanted to write, and I was just, whatever. So I was just in my living room, and then suddenly this voice just comes to me, and, and it's this powerful voice, uh, full of so much shame, urgency, um, like I, I had a desire to confess to, and so much guilt, and you know, all, like a kind of desire to confess, and it had, it had just so much so much power about it and and I just couldn't resist. I had to just reach for my Blackberry. My Blackberry I had a Blackberry phone then. I had to just reach for my Blackberry phone and and just began writing like in a frenzy as though I was talking to the love of my life and all. I just crazy. And and yeah and and then after writing around like five hundred words. So I so I tried to oh let me just see what the hell I, I mean I've I've just been doing. And when I began reading what I had written, it was like the most powerful, the most incisive, eviscerating piece of writing that like I'd ever completed up to that time in my life. And and that um passage is still the opening, the opening passage of my of my novel. So you just see, yeah, yeah, I don't know. And uh, yeah, it's it was just powerful and so just so mm -hmm. amazing. And I wish many people get to experience that kind of feeling of that huge creative bonfire, I would say. Yeah. So is that the first time that's ever happened to you? Because I know you've written for years, but was that the first mm -hmm. time a voice had really stuck out for you? Not really. Um, I mean, I, I've been writing since when I was little, since, not, since when I was like 10 years old, right? But um, well, of course, you know, um, like all the pieces of writing I'd completed up to that time, they were just, I mean, with those preparations, I would say, for this novel, just, we just uh, rehearse out, so should I say, yeah, just... Yeah, I'm building up the muscle, the endurance, the physicality too, and the and the emotional toughness, whatever that I think a project like this uh, requires. So, but but that moment was just so wonderful because I could see, I mean, the potential of the story, this character, and and how it would help me to exa to examine all these very difficult, complex, um, and and emotionally wrecking uh, experiences at. I'd, uh, I'd been through, and uh, not, not just me, but my family, my friends, and many people in my community, yeah, in my country, of course, like I'm experienced, and uh, yeah, and and then and then that was just that was just it. I, I just had to follow. I just had to, to just keep running with Andy and, and chasing him, and and listening to what he has to say to me, and then mm. transcribing his voice, his emotions, his anger, his his hilarity too. I know because he's actually quite hilarious. Yeah, into yeah, just transcribing them and putting them for the reader to to read. I love that after probably several edits and many rounds you did with your editors that the opening has still stayed the same as that first initial frenzy that you had. I I read a quote from your agent Nikki who said that the the voice of Andy was the thing that really appealed to her straight away. And she felt that you had such kind of confidence in your writing. Were you kind of conscious that this was a really strong opening, or did were there were there times where you thought 
this is going to change or this I'm going to end up losing this did you always feel that there was that power in the opening yes I I always felt the opening was very powerful and and that it had like everything I, I thought I needed uh, for an opening of a novel one I mean it was urgent I had this this urgency about it I mean it begins there white people I love white girls especially blonde it's like I don't know. Like it's a very, very bold thing. Anyway, I mean, when I when I was writing it, I wasn't thinking about all that. But, well, I mean, intuitively, I think I'm a much more intuitive person, right? But intuitively, I just knew like this. This was it. Like this is what I needed to open. I mean, to novel with. Um, and even um, months and months later, anyway, when so many things about the novel changed. For example, I, like I wrote the very first draft of the novel within a very short period of time, like within like two and a half weeks. I was just writing morning after night. But my other phone that uh, that I used, used to like keep in touch with pe people, I mean, that the phone was just somewhere. I didn't even know where the hell it was anyway. So yeah, and and, uh, and, I, and I was just writing on that my that BlackBerry phone and then I'll write, I'll plug, plug it to, I mean, to charge, continue writing anyway. So, but I, well, I always had a sense I would, that, that was that was okay because it had everything I, I felt I needed. I mean, it, it was introductory and it has, it had so much, uh, like it contains many key elements I felt I needed. For example, key stylistic elements, uh, like in terms of the voice, in terms of the tone, in terms of um, uh, like how intertextual I felt too that it was. And it just had, it had other sense for me. And maybe if the, the reader might not easily see it perfectly, I, I don't know. But I think they would, I and mean, many people will go. But I mean, when, once they begin to read, they begin to see, oh, why, how that opening, whatever, was just like, a, a massive gate and all, and the voice, um, and and this perception, and this character, and his emotions, perception, his fascinations, how it was more of like a like kind of a door that opened into this wider field of significance and emotions and and all that. Yeah. Mm. So Andy describes himself at, in the beginning of the novel as. Um, a 15-year-old African genius poet, altar boy, who loves blondes, is not a criminal, not a racist, not a sellout, <laughs> but a sweet, cool, pitiful African boy. So can you tell us how you developed Andy then? Did you have a, a real sense of him from the beginning or was there a, kind of some work you did behind the scenes to make him into a, a feel like a real 15-year-old? I think thinking about it now, I mean, many things about my life were like preparing me for, were preparing me for this experience. Like for example, my my conversations with my friends, um, uh, I mean, I mean my growing up, all those kind of stuff, and of course the, the the kinds of books, the books I I loved reading when I was younger and even up to now anyway, books usually with very strong personalities, um, very strong psychological explorations and uh, strong voices and all. I mean, I mean writers like Mark Twain, for example, Anthony Burgess, uh. Uh, Vladimir Nabokov, for example. I mean, all these writers, and um, and and so um, so just to, to answer the question simply, like um, the whole process of, of writing the book, like Andy just came for me, came developed for me, and I was just mostly transcribing him and transcribing his voice, just mostly listening to I mean what, what he was saying to me, and and then just putting it down, and and of course there was some editing and uh, and and writing, but it's just all about oh, like what would Andy think or Mm. Uh, or what not what would he think, but what does he think? Or what does he how does he see this aspect of the world? Or what are his, his opinions about these things? Even though you know, most times or many times those opinions are actually against my own personal opinions. But but it was just so fun like being with him and 
and seeing the world through his eyes and uh, and not just through his eyes through his own his um, his interest in, like in in mass Afrofuturism, science fiction fantasy religion especially religion and all that so all those aspects of his, of his life and then just seeing the world through those aspects so just so it, the audience just came it came so fully made for me and I was mostly transcribing yeah, in mm. shots. Did you ever worry that you would lose his voice or was he with you all the time? Yeah, I, I worried a little bit. I mean, a few times, but but I mean, well, all my worries were just completely unfounded because all I just needed to do was just to just get back into my routine, my actual routine and, mm-hmm. and to just cook. Yeah, and, and then the bus would just come and I would just, just continue walking. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, of course, there were many changes in, in, in the whole process. Like, some chapters, some, uh, I mean, chapter sections or plot points or whatever, some developments I ended up not using. And, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but but, uh, but I think in the end, like, yeah, it just all came, just fully made. Yeah. And of course, Andy's a poet and he enjoys all this wordplay, which you get to enjoy being the writer. Is that one of the things yeah. that appeals <laughs> to you about writing, is being able to kind of play with words and have that fun with experimental with form? Yes, um, yeah, I mean, I wrote, when I was around Andy's age, I started writing lots of poetry, yeah, and I wrote, and I wrote a lot of poetry, and uh, and of course, I discovered other writers, like James Joyce, um, Arunati Roy, um, of course, I mean, Proust, all those guys, and, I mean, who, like, experimented not just with form, but even with ontology, like uh, Ben O'Cree, for example, here in my, here in my shelf, and... Um, so, um, so whatever I've always looked, I mean, exper- experimentation in, in some way. I mean, but not just experimentation for experimentation sake, right? I mean, the story, the characters, do I mean, they all all have to demand this. I mean, these departures from conventional, like stylistics and all. Um, so yeah, and and so for me, like, like reading some of those writers, for example, like Nabokov, for example, it, it was so fun seeing. Oh, I mean, all the wordplay. I never thought. I mean, books could be written in such in such playful forms, and and I, I want to play, and I want to play with words. And I think that is, I mean, the fun, the fun of writing, and, and the innovations we can bring to, uh, to the, the the prose form and all, I mean, fiction form, and yeah. So, so I'm really usually I mean, I mean, I appeal to all these things, and I mean, I, I love all these things in in books I read and all. But as I said, I mean, they all have to stem from from demands of of, of the work, and because mm. so, some books I'm just turn turn away, turn off. By some very experimental books that I wonder, oh, like then, what was the point of all this stuff and all these departures from their yeah, conventional systems? Because, um, because one of my favorite quotes uh, by, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Samar Rushdie when he, when he says that, oh, like uh, that novelists or writers in general should try to find the simplest, the simplest and most engaging way to like convey a story. And yeah, and for me, like the slight departures in Conventional stylistics, like in the book, uh, I mean, I would usually demand it, and therefore the benefit of the reader. And I think, for example, like when the reader begins to read the novel, there are some parts, some sections in the novel that are in italics and all italicized. And like, for example, when Andy is talking with with Idna, his Otago or his dead brother, and all that. And so, I mean, that gives the reader a sense. Oh, I mean, yeah. Oh, this is we're moving away from. Um, from the everyday ontology, this is something that happens more mentally or more emotionally, or like possibly as like magical realistic uh, intrusions in the text, whatever. So in short, whatever. I mean, I love. Sorry, I, I like to to digress and, uh, and uh, 
I mean, I love to talk about books and, and literature and all that, but yeah. So in summary, like it's yeah, I I I love yeah, I love playing with form style and all that, yeah. But it should all be in the service of the text, yeah. One of the things I wanted to speak about because it played such a important role in the novel is the relationship between mother and son. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about uh, the dynamic between Andy and his mother. This kind of dynamic, mother, mother and son uh, relationships, are not, I mean, I've not, I haven't read so many books about it. I mean, there are so many, so many books about uh, mother and daughter and all that, which is a very, very powerful, interesting, very, very compelling like relationship and dynamic. Um, but, but I wanted to do this, I mean, write about this because I mean, because I, I mean, I, my, my mother is one of the fluent people in my life, and I mean, but still, there's so many, too much complications. There's so many things about me that she doesn't know, and and that I, I will never ever get to tell her. And then, and all these complications, anyway, I, I think are very, very fun. And to talk about so many things, so um, like in in the in the book, um, I mean, I could talk about the complicated dynamic between Andy and his mother through just through many uh, perspectives, right, from the whole perspective of. Uh, of the text, uh, or I mean, from a thematic point of view, but but even from an emotional point of view, I mean, of let's just talk about from a thematic point of view. Um, I mean, the mother represents this, uh, I mean, Nigerianness, Africanness, whatever, to Andy and this part of himself that he doesn't, that he wants, that he loves, but he doesn't, but doesn't want. I mean, because he feels like I mean, she's failed in so many ways. Uh, I mean, the country, her, her country has failed her. I mean, she's somebody with huge potential who. Who, who who never goes to achieve to achieve all that? I mean, she's she's not very educated, or she's in fact not even say she's uneducated, right? And um, and that's why how brilliant she is, and and uh, how creative she is. She's a photographer and, and all that, and so she's this person who he loves but doesn't want, and just like how Andy loves his country, but many things about it that because because of how failed he is, he doesn't want it, and and that's how he feels. And again, um, in terms of uh, how she. Uh, I mean, there are more other complications too, of course, like the identity of his father, why she refuses to divorce the identity of his father, and how that causes, I mean, strain in the relationship. And uh, I know so many aspects, and I, I just really found it very, very powerful. And I just wanted to explore that. And I think it might be a theme that I might return to in my subsequent work. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you more about um, how. Andy has these conflicting feelings about living in Nigeria, Nigeria as a country. And I guess, like you say, it, it does mirror the relationship he has with his mother as well. Can you speak a little bit more about um, Andy's feelings towards Nigeria? So it's, he, in my, to some reason, in my same as though he's just being angry, being, being, being uh, just on this level, right? Know, but, but it's all about just love. I mean, love is a very powerful thing. And, I mean, some of the things we love, we love greatest in our lives are, are, are the things we usually like level the strongest criticism at. And I mean, Brits love their country, and and the way when you hear Brits talk about about uh, about Britain, about about England, you think, oh, like is this like the worst country in the world? And <laughs> then that is not the case anyway. It's, yeah. But it's all about it. Just stems from that powerful love that he feels because he wants he wants the country to be better, to be something great, to be. I mean, he wants the opportunities. He wants he wants a better life for himself, for his friends, for his mother, and all. But for all these things don't come, and and he just failure every day, day to day. He's just been assailed by so much, so much failure, and and uh, 
And which is why, again, he, he wants to, to leave and to leave the country and to, to explore like other opportunities elsewhere. And uh, but it's just all love anyway, but it's very complicated love, yeah. Because mm-hmm. in, in the end, like one of the things I that readers will find in his book, they will find a very strong theme of or motif of uh, duality, like this dual duality, this I mean two different like standpoints, parallel standpoints. I mean on the one hand, we talk about um I mean the love and and the hatred like between mother and son and all between I mean a citizen and the and versus his country and of course the complicated love between I mean two young people of different skin colors and classes I mean Andy and Eileen the blonde force in love with I mean of course also the complicated relationship between the love and the hatred of course between Africa and the West and all that so it was all these these themes that that just came together yeah to I mean during and this. Uh, search for identity and belonging and all that yeah yeah I want to touch a bit more Stephen on your kind of journey to becoming a writer and it might surprise people to hear that your education began with maths and that you are really passionate about maths but also creative writing and often you'll hear people say they're either a maths person or a writer not not the two together but how well do they work for you as a, as a pair? Yes, um, I don't know. I, I think perhaps uh, my love for maths and writing perhaps started from when I was when I was young. I mean, I I mean, school. I I, I just love all subjects, all subjects, and they were taught in school, and I, I did very well in, in them all. And uh, and um, but again, um, I know the books I read then. I mean, some of the books I read even as a child, like. Um, the Swiss Family Robinson, for example, uh, one of my favorite children's books. Yeah, then one of the Um, yeah, I mean, had aspect of science. I mean, in, I mean, in it. So I won't do this, this story about a family dealing with adversity. I mean, after being shipwrecked and all that. So, but my, my first love was, of course, always writing because I, I started writing. I mean, as I said, at age eleven. Just a little bit later, that I had a one a fantastic master in my school and. I would mean to really love mass and, and understand the significance, the impact and what it was all about. And uh, and when I went after my secondary school, I was was wondering what the hell do I do with my life, right? What should I study? And but I didn't want to study like law or or, or medicine or I mean those, those kinds of fields. And I mean I loved I loved mass so much and uh, and I felt it could it would make my writing a bit distinct in some way, I think. Um because some of the writers too like I used to hear about and I and I'd some of them, some of who, who I read there at the time, uh, we were writers with science, science backgrounds. Like I think Lewis, uh, Lewis Carroll, for example. I think writers like even David Foster Wallace, like all the, all these guys. And yeah, so um, whatever. So I, I just I love maths anyway. Not yeah. So and and, and I studied maths uh, for my first degree, and I really loved the experience, the research, and yeah. But but again, maths, my maths is just um, it's just. I mean, that's about how huge and broad the field is, the discipline is. It's, it's actually in the end, you could just see it as one kind of one half of the of one half of how we, we see the world, like as through science, through the scientific method, the scientific way we, we see the world in a very, very structured, uh, definite, uh, unambiguous, like uh, a way, you know, or whatever perspective. Um, um, like Mars, you begin with axioms, you build axioms to form theorems and everything. It's all very, very structured and very, very, very well defined, you know. But, but again, those that kind of um, that way of viewing the world is actually it's just one way of viewing the world, right? I mean, it's um, 
and uh, I mean life and um, life and world, whatever peace in general. I mean, we're often presented with with huge questions that 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 cannot be that we cannot attempt to give answers through those very structured ways or structured structured forms like math or science and all like mm. yeah. So I mean, like for example, many huge philosophical questions which we cannot. I mean, we can't we can't discuss in a in a, in a science class or in a math class and. And that is where literature and philosophy and all and all that come, man. I, I think in the end, these two they might seem so distinct, but in the end, I, I think for me, I, what I what I'm interested in doing and, and books that I'm interested in reading are, are works that say often try to show how intertwined they are and how how I mean they both speak to each other, how they both need each other to to present to pro, or to provide like if well a fulsome uh, modality for for solving many problems that are being presented with daily in our lives in the world and all that so i think that strongly intertwined and mm. and uh, yeah and, and for me like in my novel andy uses um um mass science and all i mean and also poetry and all that religion for understanding his uh from or for unraveling himself for reader, of course trying to understand the world the i mean difficulties difficult situations he experiences and and all that and uh yeah Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way. So you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So I saw that you, and like you said, you've written your whole life and you went through a phase of always wanting to write a novel, but you would sometimes write hundreds of pages, get rid of them, start again, yeah. start something new, get rid of that. And I'm sure there'll be many other writers that can relate to that. What was it that was special about this book that made you see its potential or carry on and not just kind of scrap it and move on to the next thing? Yes, uh, for me, I think it had so much power. There was just so much power about it. It was, it was so unreal. I would say it's so yeah, so different in comparison to what what I'd written up to that time, and and it also seemed so different for myself. It seemed again that as though I was had unlocked something about myself that, that I, I didn't know. Right, mm. like before before twenty eighteen, if you had told me that oh that I would end up writing a book like this, then I would have told you that oh like you are the best liar in the world or something. <laughs> And yeah, because I felt I was a different kind of person, I was a different writer and all that. But so but it's I mean the story and Andy as a character unlocked so many aspects to, to myself, to my creative practice. Yeah. Mm. Aspect of, of myself, of my creative practice, which I didn't know. I mean, I knew it there and uh, whatever. So it had this huge power and uh, and and that from that moment of uh, of that creative spark, I know I could see how this story could help me to to examine my country, my community, myself, my friends, and all that, like in, in, a, in a way like 
they had never done up to that time. And I, there was just so much promise and, and there was just so much belief. Like, it's so just, I don't know how to explain all that to me, but it just came to me that, oh, like, this this is this this is going to work if I can, mm. can pursue it, if I can and put the work that it, it needed, it demanded. And yeah, it, it was just going to work. And I, whatever, the faith was just there very strongly from, from the start. And, and so I so I just continued and uh, and thankfully I did. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. of course you've got the UEA um scholarship as well. That must have given you uh, a kind of boost in confidence and helped you remove some of your disbelief as well. Yes, yes. Um yeah. So I that's 2018. So I I received the Booker Prize Foundation scholarship. So it's yeah. So what did you all the students uh, whatever is it? And then I think it's student to study for an MA in creative writing at UA UA. And um yeah, so um I mean the scholarship was very transformational for me. Um uh, I mean before before that, before receiving the scholarship, I I mean I mean it was difficult difficult to find the time to write, to fully focus on writing and uh, and again I didn't grow up like in a like in a huge Nigerian city where you would find writers. Like before then, actually before before coming to UA, I didn't really to UA. I didn't really like no like any no any like established writer and all that. And so again, like the scholarship also gave me the opportunity to, I mean, to receive feedback on, on my writing and I mean to see areas of aspects of writing that I needed to develop to work more on. And um, and that was very very useful. Um, and of course, I mean the belief and and all that. And, I mean and the exposure. For example, like two weeks after I arrived uh, in the UK and I mean for my course, so I was invited to attend the Booker Prize uh, ceremony and just, just, just crazy. I mean, meeting all these serious writers and I mean, <laughs> they're just crazy. I mean, yeah, I mean writers like Ben O'Kris, somebody who have, who I mean, I've, I've hugely adored, yeah, respected, yeah. Um, Anna Bonds, I won the Booker Prize that year. I'm just so many other writers and and of course it has been wonderful being. Uh, being part of uh, the Booker Prize Foundation, right? Because uh, mm. now and then they do um, invite scholars and past scholars to some of the events, and they, and I think I can remember also a pivotal moment too for for this book when I I met uh, Chigo Ziobo, the Nigerian writer. I met him in the, at the Booker Prize ceremony in 2019, and and he was hugely encouraging, and like he just hugely believed what what I was trying to do, and they. Uh, and it, that was hugely motivating for me too. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Now you're doing a PhD in creative critical writing. So what's been, do you think, maybe this is a really hard question. Uh, what do you think has been kind of the most significant thing you've learned doing a PhD or your master's? What's been the most uh, beneficial thing you've learned to your writing? Yes, yeah, so um, my... Masters on PhD studies like have been very helpful to me. Surely the masters anyway, because that was where we did many workshops. We did most of the workshops there. And uh, um, I mean, um, when they just they just gave me like those kinds of tools. So I'm going to interrupt there uh, because my I, as I said, uh, my background is in mathematics and and I study maths and and in the math class you have these very definite terms for defining things and all that and. Uh, I know, I know. So, so it was a bit strange coming to a creative writing class and have having, and um having to like uh, to to use very nuanced terms to, to I don't like just 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 use the patch anyway. And 
And I mean, trying to explain things that's, I mean, things that are not very different, that, that, that can be argued and uh, that can be disproved, disproven, not disproven, disproven. Anyway, um, um, so it was, I mean, a different experience for me, but, but it gave me this huge opportunity, this huge opportunity to get, of course, feedback on my writing, and apart from that, to also, uh, I mean, I'm putting name to too many concepts that, that I, I I already knew intuitively, like in writing, like when I read books and all, or I, some of the things I do, I just did them very intuitively. Okay, like you do this, and then you, you, you characters are supposed to do this or say this. So, I mean, many things I just felt intuitively, I, like I didn't know, I didn't like have the term for them. Like for some things like specificity, for example, I mean, one of the terms that we banded about, like I mean, on the course and the, but it's very, very useful. So many, so many, many, many things like that. And uh, yeah, and of course, seeing how different writers uh, respond to texts, I mean, to your own writing and all that was also very useful. And uh, like also great preparation for like, the world of publishing. And um, yeah. And how has the publication journey been for you? Have you found anything that's been surprising or challenging since your book deal happened? Has there been anything that you've found that's been emotionally hard to deal with or has it um have you had kind of ups and downs? Yes, um for, for me, I mean I think I would just say like in general I've been just mostly privileged, right? Um from I mean from the very moment I got the idea of the story because I mean, I could have decided to do something else, or maybe a guest could have would have visited my house at that time, and I wouldn't have been able to write, write that open, and perhaps I would have written this book anyway. So there's just so many variables, and when you think about it, so many coincidences. I mean, even getting the scholarship to come to study at UA, that's just so many, so many variables, so many parameters there that could have changed many things. And yeah, so for me, I mean, like I got an agent, yeah, I mean, very easily, like, and and that is not the norm. I mean. Most, 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 many, many writers will usually, usually struggle to find agents, you know. But for me, in my own case, like, yeah, um, and also getting, getting a publisher too, yeah, was say, yeah, like, uh, thankfully, I didn't, I didn't have to struggle for that. I mean, my agent just sent a manuscript out, and within a few days, started getting offers and all that, which is really wonderful, and which I really hope, like, many writers also, also uh, get these kinds of opportunities anyway. Um, of course, I mean, there are challenges with, with, with many, with, with every anything in life, right? I mean, that days you are not going to work out. I mean, your, I mean, your editor could, would, I mean, would send you notes about things that you thought, oh, you've done very, very excellently well, or, or I mean, things like that. And uh, well, so far, I think it's not been a good journey, and I have, and I shouldn't have any complaints. I have no complaints. <laughs> I, I don't think. And uh, but maybe in terms of surprises, like I'm just a bit surprised how. Like it was also surprising to see how they collaborate, like usually how they often collaborate with each other. And I mean, the publishers, you think, oh, they're rivals, they are competitors, and all that. And and that was very nice to see. And it was also shocking to also realize how, how I mean, very how niche the industry is, and how everybody seemed to know each other. And uh, and so, <laughs> and so of course, like you want to offend someone, right? I mean, not about that, but of course, but how just niche it is, how everyone seemed to know each other, and that was. Actually, really surprising, and uh, it's a good thing, and uh, maybe not a very good thing, uh, yeah, at the same time, because maybe it's difficult for people, or other people, maybe people from marginalized communities to actually break into such industries when, yeah, yeah, anyway. So, finally, <laughs> Stephen, are you able to tell us anything about what you're working on next? 
Hmm. I mean, I think that's a difficult question, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just, I mean, I'm just, uh, I think at a creative crossroads now anyway. So, well, what I'm sure of anyway, that my next, my next work is going to be a novel and, uh, but it could be, it could be any novel. It could be, I mean, it could be a historical novel, it could be a sci-fi novel. I don't know. It could be anything, but, uh, well, I'm just yeah, open-minded and, uh, and when I finally get the opportunity and have much, much more time to hugely focus, like, so I just can't wait to see what, what's going to happen anyway. And uh, yeah, when I'm going to revisit the, the world of Andy in some way, because I, there's so many rich aspects, many rich plot points or whatever, themes that I could also like, explore in subsequent work. Yeah, in, in, yeah in, also in a very engaging way. And But we'll see, we'll see. Like, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll you're, you're, maybe you're waiting for that next voice to come to you. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> that is actually what I'm waiting for, because... I have my I have my notes. I have thousands and thousands of words of notes, and and no of times I've gone through those notes. I just so I mean there are nice material to have once once you finally have like a kind of a, a fuse or so a fuse leads a creative fuse leads or something. And they, but I don't have well the more of times I've gone through those notes, like no no that's nothing that's been made so so since they're just ideas, just random ideas, you know. But I'm sure when I, once I finally set to one. On what I'm going to work on next year, I'm sure like uh, all these notes, thousands and thousands and thousands of words of notes, I know I'm sure they will come in very very handy. Yeah, yeah. And I can't just wait to start to get back to writing again. I mean, there's nothing that comes close to me for me in, in I mean in terms of the feelings, the emotions, the mm. the passion and all that. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Stephen. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, really nice talking to you today. That was Stephen Burrow talking about his literary novel, The Five Sorrowful Mysteries of Andy Africa, which is out now and available to buy. And if you'd like to support this podcast, debut authors and independent bookshops, you can now shop in the Confessions of a Debut Novelist bookshop, hosted by bookshop.org, which I've linked down below in the show notes. If you fancy buying any of the books you've heard on this podcast, then the majority of them can be found in this bookshop. And if you can, I would really appreciate you supporting me, supporting the authors and independent bookshops by buying them through this online store. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.